those of us who strive to be responsible companies, who like what we see when we get up and look in the mirror in the morning, better recognize we're going to have to work very hard and move very fast, not to break things, but to avoid breaking things and to fix things that others are breaking. We need to step up to a high level of responsibility. Call them changemakers. Call them rule breakers. We call them redefiners. Join us in conversation with daring leaders who are creating extraordinary impact and driving change from around the globe. Each episode gives you a fresh perspective on your leadership and career journey. I'm Hoda Tahoon, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds. I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive officer and a leadership advisor. And this is Redefiners. Hoda, this conversation about technology and AI is only accelerated. It's just, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Every dinner party, every business meeting, every discussion with my children, my friends, my brothers and sisters. It's like, it is the topic of the day. Clark, I have friends that are talking about AI to their grandparents. So this is now in every discussion (laughs) around the world. Well, it makes it incredibly timely that uh, we have Brad Smith, vice chairman and president at Microsoft for our second episode. And everyone, welcome back to Redefiners. If you didn't catch Brad's episode a couple of weeks ago, go ahead and listen to it. He shared some powerful insights on how leaders navigate complexity in an ever-changing tech landscape, how to embrace uncertainty, and some incredibly inspiring ideas about why sustainability action is 100% achievable. Today, though, we're talking about a topic that deserved an episode all of its own. It's the topic in every boardroom, every friend, even some grandparents. (laughs) It's capturing the attention of both leaders and frontline employees, whether you're in tech or you're not. Today, we'll hear Brad's perspective on the topic of AI. You know, Clark, AI has really catapulted to the front of leaders' minds in the last year or so. It's technology now that's readily accessible and usable at extraordinary speed and scale. And I think we're standing on the threshold of a new era, an AI-powered leadership revolution that promises to redefine the way that we work, live, and communicate. You know, we we look at, as you know, at Russell Reynolds, uh, how do we glean information but ensure its accuracy? Yeah. How do we look at history and interwoven connections. You know, we draw the analysis and the judgment, but we could be incredibly more efficient about how we look at data and information. And I think that's what AI is all about, right? How to make us more efficient and sort of cut through some of the inefficiencies to allow us just to be, you know, faster in every aspect of our lives. Exactly right. And I think hearing Brad's perspective on that, as well as the scale of impact AI will have, He talks about the promise and the peril of technology. I think he's really balanced about we have to look at the upside and the downside and that leaders really need to learn before they leap into AI to understand the balance of this. Knowing how insightful our last conversation was with Brad, I'm really pumped to get stuck right back in, as they say in England. (laughs) I am too, Clark. Okay. Everybody wants to talk about AI, Brad. (laughs) All right, let's go. Okay. So there's not a leadership discussion. There's not a board meeting. There's not an investor inquiry without talking about what is the impact of AI on your business? And our clients, CEOs and boards are saying, you know, how much do I need to learn before I do anything? Do I need to leap fast? You have many, many, many big statements about this is bigger than anything that has ever happened before. How do you prioritize for business leaders where they spend time and money thinking about AI? I would say a few things. I mean, first, you asked, do people need to learn before they leap? I actually think they need to leap in order to learn. Mm. That is the only way to learn. 
there's a limit to what one can really apply to your own business if you're not experimenting. And that, in fact, is what we're seeing companies around the world do. Mm -hmm. Um, I sort of joked that this past summer was the sandbox summer for AI. And by that, I mean, every business was creating a a proof of concept. We had more than 3,000 customers globally working with us to create and implement proofs of concept in what they sort of described as a sandbox where they were trying something. That's amazing. That's exactly what people need to do. And a lot of this has, in the earliest months, involved identifying business processes that people thought would most benefit from applying generative AI. And they're experimenting and they're learning quickly. And mostly what they're learning is, yes, this is real. There's probably some hype. There always is. But the productivity benefits are very substantial. And then second, I think people are now entering what I'll say is the fall and winter of, at least with a company like Microsoft, using co-pilots. You know, when I look at our co-pilots, say for email, for Outlook, for Word, for PowerPoint, for Excel, what we call our M365 co-pilots, you suddenly find in a horizontal way across many, many different disciplines that this can really change and I think improve the way people work. But the only way to do it, to learn from it, is to use it. And it's a very fundamental tool that I would very much compare to my own experience of what brought me to Microsoft in the first place. You know, it goes back to being a law student in the 1980s and buying a personal computer when they were pretty much brand new and realizing that it fundamentally changed the way I wrote in ways that we don't even think about now. People just take it for granted. Many people in the workplace never had to ever use a typewriter or just write with a pen on paper and then type it up. But yeah, what happened when you could move text around, when you could delete it, when spell check meant you didn't have to proof it the same way you did before, um, you became more creative. And then the best writers became more creative writers and they were able to hone the craft of writing. So in many ways, It might have taken a week to learn how to use a word processing program, and then you spent the rest of your life, certainly I have, trying to use this tool to be a better writer. We are about to experience that all over again. When I use something like Copilot in Microsoft Word, it literally takes about a minute or two to start using it because it prompt appears on a new screen and you can write in what you want it to do. But to figure out how to use it well, I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. And the way I learn is I just keep experimenting. One of my favorite things right now, I did it this morning, is uh, there was a new regulatory development announced in a country. And so I opened up a new document in Microsoft Word and I said, write a 1,000 word analysis of this announcement today and what it is likely to mean for Microsoft's business. And then I read it, and then I I didn't just save it and send it, although sometimes I do just to show people what it can do. I then said, well, I want to learn more about this piece. So I took the cursor and I inserted it and said, you know, write two paragraphs about this specific issue and what it means for that issue. And, you know, and then I, you know, edited and I just, this whole process of how we think of how we create, how you take something from Word and turn it into a PowerPoint deck, all of these things. To me, 
it reminds me of why I got so excited about using software and a computer in the first place. It felt a little bit magical then. It feels a little magical again. Mm. Everyone jumps in, talking about poking the bear. It's not accurate. It's not, can we trust it? But Copilot seems not to be pushing products here, but Copilot seems to be giving more specificity, more accuracy about what exactly one is using the tool for and then expanding from that. Is that right? I think that is right. And I would say another thing in addition, none of this should ever be used, in my opinion, as a tool to encourage people to stop thinking. Mm. It is a tool to help people think better. And I appreciate it when people expect a machine to yield an answer that's 100% accurate. But yeah, if you walk out of your office building and you ask the first person you meet for directions to go somewhere, then you're going to ask yourself, okay, that sounds good, but is it right? Mm. I know something about this neighborhood. In the same way, always ask yourself, does this make sense? How do I use it? How do I make it better? If someone says, this is a tool that I can use to make myself better, they're going to be better. And if somebody says, this is a tool so that I no longer have to think, guess what? It usually is not a really good recipe to stop thinking in life. I I wouldn't advise using this technology to stop thinking. Brad, you're the leader of a company, whether it's Germany or Ohio. You're experimenting yourself with the tool, as you just described. And then equally, you go to your R&D department as an institution and say, institutionally, how are we going to use this? Do you do both at the same time? Or should leaders play themselves to understand? How does one scale and think about this, the individual versus the institution? I think one absolutely should do both of those things at the same time for two reasons. First, as one thinks about generative AI, it is going to have a number of vertical uses. And by that, I mean, it will change very specific business processes. Many of them are what we would call back office processes, customer support, Mm-hmm. financial calculations, you name it. And so just as the use of business applications really change those functions, this too will do that. And it will require leadership from the top down to create a project, to analyze a business process and figure out how AI can make it better and hopefully make it more efficient and people more productive. At the same time, there is this broad, what I'll call horizontal use that is true for everyone. If you write email or send email, this will affect you. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. Even if you don't write, although I live in a world where I actually think it's good for people to write because I think writing helps promote thinking. Still fundamental. I agree. But I'll give you an example. I was in uh, the Microsoft board meetings a couple of weeks ago. And the first day we had our committee meetings and a dinner and I was tied up for 13 hours. And then the next morning, I needed to catch up because I had not been reading email. The first thing I did was sit down with a co-pilot and I, you, Clark, know Carol Ann Brown, my chief of staff, my co-author on our book. And I said, summarize all the emails that Carol Ann Brown sent me yesterday. And it went through and it took about 20 seconds. It produced a summary of nine emails. It said the time at which she sent each one of them. It summarized in two sentences what each email was about. And then it had links to all of them. Wow. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, she's going to think I read all my email yesterday. <laughs> so you know, even if you're somebody who reads more than you write, but doesn't read as much as you should, this is a tool that can help you. And 
the way a leader helps promote the adoption of technology that can help make people better is to use it and then tell stories about how they are finding it helpful to what they do. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. Storytelling is what changes people's behaviors. This one, one follow on question to that. There was an investment note that came out that said that America in particular over the last 120 years, it is innovation inventions of things that have changed the economy, changed the world, changed people's lives. But with AI, it will be efficiency in this world we live in today of uncertainty, acceleration, inflation, uh, et cetera that efficiency may be more powerful than innovation and invention over the next few years. Do you have a point of view on that? Well, what I would say is efficiency, or put another way, productivity gains will be more important than in the past, and I'll say why, but I also think that innovation and invention will remain as critical as ever. The reason productivity or efficiency will become more important is for one specific reason in my view, and that is because population growth is leveling off. In fact, in many parts of the world, Germany, Italy, Japan, Korea, just to name four countries, we're going to see not just the population as a whole decline, but we're going to especially see the working age population, those between the ages Mm. of 20 and 64. That group's going to get smaller in the next 20 years, for example. That's soon. Yes. That population in Italy alone, that population will fall by 41%. Wow. Now, they can always look to immigration, which would be a wise thing to do. Or in the case of a country like Italy, it will become much more important to get more women working in the workforce so that they can expand their workforce. But at bottom, Mm -hmm. countries are not going to be able to rely on population growth as a source of growth for their economy or country as a whole the way they have in the past. So what will they do, especially when you have to support an aging population? people that have retired, because that population is going to continue to grow for some time. We need more productivity. The world is in desperate need of productivity in a way that it has not seen literally in centuries. AI is indispensable in addressing that. Now, innovation will still matter. It's just that this efficiency matters in a new way. Brad, as we sort of just maybe poke a little bit more at this piece around the productivity in some of these countries and other parts of the world where perhaps the acceleration of technology and AI has not been similar to the U.S., North America, and other parts of Western Europe, how do you think some of these countries are going to be able to catch up with the productivity piece? This goes to, I think, what is just a fundamentally important aspect of the AI conversation that isn't yet taking place the way it should. Mm -hmm. People start by saying, who are the companies that are creating AI? Oh, do we have enough of them? What they should be asking even more than that is, are we using AI? Mm. Are we deploying AI? What will matter to a country, in addition to whether they have companies developing this technology, is whether they're harnessing its power. Mm. And to me, the great analogy here is the printing press. Mm. I'll argue that AI is more like the printing press than like a lot of other inventions because it's fundamentally about helping people get smarter, um, which is what like the ability to write and publish and then purchase and read something really did. Well, people may sort of know that the printing press was really perfected as much as by anyone, Johannes Gutenberg in Germany, 
in just after the middle of the 1400s. But the greatest country to benefit from the invention was not Germany, I would argue. It was a much smaller country. It was the Netherlands. They used the printing press. And the way you can measure this is you can look at the consumption of books. In other words, per capita, how many books were read in each country over a period of years. Before the printing press was invented, on average, two books were read for every 1,000 people on planet Earth. Very few. By the beginning of the 1500s, the Dutch were reading 500 books per 1,000 people per year. Wow. The second was England. They were at 200. Look at the next two centuries. Which two small countries at the periphery of Europe, one barely above sea level, expanded globally out of all proportion to their size? The countries that read the most books, the Netherlands and the English. And yeah, that, that I think will hold true too. So what people should really be asking among many, many other important questions is, how do we get the most benefit out of using this for our country, for our society, or for our company? So it's really that deployment question and how to... Yes. Yeah. Fascinating. We'll be right back with Brad Smith. But first, we'll hear from Joe Gorey, a managing director in our Stanford office and co-lead of our AI practice. He'll outline the five key focus areas for leaders looking to successfully integrate Gen AI into their organizations. The launch of ChatGPT, a tool that thrust Gen AI into the spotlight and into the hands of leaders, is generating excitement and anxiety in the business world. Given the impact that these solutions will have, organizations must decide whether they want to be an early adopter or an iterative fast follower. Either way, in order to reap the rewards from AI, it is important for firms to begin to incorporate the technology into their enterprise strategy. So, how do you best prepare your organization for AI adoption and implementation? Where should you focus your energy? It's an area where leaders often have more questions than answers. To help you navigate this high-stakes moment, we've identified five key areas to focus on so you can seize AI's potential and avoid the pitfalls. Invest in transformative test-and-learn mindsets. Choose the right person to lead the AI charge. Use AI to break down silos. Look for new AI-driven revenue opportunities. Understand your risk tolerance and double down on ethics and organizational values. To learn more about each of these focus areas and the key questions to consider for your organization's Gen AI implementation, click on the link to the article in the show notes. Now back to our conversation with Brad. If we pivot for a moment and talk about a book that you wrote with Carolyn Brown, Tools and Weapons, The Promise and the Peril of the Digital Age. In it, you talk about urging the tech sector to really assume more responsibility while calling for governments to move faster in addressing some of the challenges that are being created with new technology. And you've continued to call to action. You've continued to be a part of these conversations and meetings with leaders and policymakers around the world. Tell us what it's like to be a part of this pivotal conversation and how do you look at the promise and peril of AI? Yeah, I would say two things, and they're encapsulated in many ways in what you just described. Fundamentally, every technology is a tool and a weapon. That's mm-hmm. the reality. And yeah, AI is in some ways one of the most powerful tools that humanity has probably ever created. And therefore, by definition, it could become one of the most formidable weapons 
if it is misused or abused by people up to doing the world harm. And so what do you do? How do we manage that? Mm -hmm. Well, the formula that we recommended in our book is at bottom pretty straightforward. It requires two things. One is that those of us who strive to be responsible companies who like what we see when we get up and look in the mirror in the morning, better recognize we're going to have to work very hard and move very fast, not to break things, but to avoid breaking things Mm. and to fix things that others are breaking. We need to step up to a high level of responsibility. And second, we need to recognize that in the world today, in this country and elsewhere, most of the time, most markets for most products are regulated to some degree. We buy the food in the grocery store with confidence because we know that the food is inspected by agricultural inspectors. That's right. We use pharmaceutical products because they were approved after a safety test. We get in the car and we fundamentally feel, just as we get in an airplane and fundamentally believe, that there's a high probability that it's safe. And therefore, governments do need to speed up and we need to find the right combination of self-responsibility by companies and regulation by governments and do it on a global basis. So, Brad, you've given us a lot to think about. Before we let you go, we like to end each podcast with some rapid fire questions. This is where we ask you a series of questions and you respond as quickly as possible with the first thing that comes to mind. Are you this ready? This dangerous. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm this is ready, off the script. I, 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 I'm not ready at all, but go for it anyway. Okay. First one is, what are the three apps on your phone you can't live without? Outlook. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, it's it's Outlook. It, yeah, it's text messaging. Um, and it's the photos, the, the, the camera. Okay. Uh, and then I'll add a fourth commercial for somebody else, Spotify. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. I like that. Do you have a favorite hobby or hidden talent? Um, I don't think I have any hidden talents and some people I work with might question whether I have much talent at all, but I managed to survive. (laughs) Um, Look, I love to read. I love history. Um, uh, And in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, you can boat in the summer and you can ski in the winter. And I love doing both of those things. That's great. And boating's up Clark Sally. Exactly. Any time on the water is, is extra time. Yes. If you could spend one day in someone else's shoes, who would it be and why? Um, I would spend a day in my wife's shoes. I think if I could do that, I would be a better husband for the rest of my <laughs> life. Brad, what motivates you the most? Uh, I think it's the opportunity to work with people I love working with and spending time with on a set of issues that are both endlessly fascinating and truly impactful in the world today. If you were going to devote the rest of your life to philanthropy, what cause would you choose? Um, Probably the protection of human rights. I spend a lot of time on that. My wife and I are both very devoted to it um, and uh, already get to spend time on it and would continue to do that. If you were to gift one book to everyone on your team, what would it be and why? Well, that is a constantly changing answer, Mm -hmm. but I'll give you the answer today. It's a a book called How Data Happened, and it's about the history of the development of data and data analytics. Um, And I'm reading it right now, and I just ordered more copies to give others (laughs) I work with. Okay, everybody who's listening, you got that one? Because if Brad Smith is reading it and handing it out, so should you. Okay, last question. Um, Would you rather have regrets about actions or inactions? Actions. I fundamentally think 
and I say this to folks I work with, success is about what you do and get done. And it's okay to have regrets about what you do. I think that's far better than the things you never tried to do at all. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, and I just am a huge believer in being proactive, trying to pioneer new solutions. And then the regrets that you have are good ones mm. because what you find is that some of the things that you tried didn't work as well as you hoped. But by trying and learning, you create the foundation to go farther, faster, leap higher in the next month or quarter or year ahead. That's how you learn. You can learn by reading and studying. I'm a huge believer in that. Clark, how do you figure out what to do about AI? Do you learn before you leap? I say no. Mm -hmm. You leap. Mm -hmm. And that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. This has been incredibly insightful. I know it's going to give our listeners a lot to think about. It certainly has for me. For our firm, serving clients, kind of interacting across the board. But I, I just want to summarize a little bit. Before we go there, I have a couple of reflections from our conversation. First, there's no doubt about it. AI will fundamentally change the way we work. I love the way you compare the AI revolution to the magic of previous revolutions we've experienced, like, like the arrival of personal computers. Think about life without a computer, right? So how many years will it be before we think about, gosh, who can imagine life without AI? Second point, improving productivity. If the last century was all about innovation, it appears the next one will be about innovation and productivity, the linkages between the two. I like what you said about AI being indispensable in terms of creating efficiencies, boosting creativity, and freeing up leaders' time to focus on the work that matters most. Listen, as a former CEO, I would have given anything for that ability to free up time. But we need to remember it's a tool to think better, not stop thinking. It's a tool to think better. Third, the winners will be those who are first to harness AI's power. And I was struck by your analogy about the printing press race. When it comes to AI, deployment and experimentation matter. Those that go first hit the tape. They win the race. And third, understanding the perils of AI. Like any technology, AI can be used as a tool or a weapon. Mitigating the risk comes down to two things, responsible businesses and responsible leadership. As you so powerfully said, we need to look in the mirror each morning and not only work hard and move fast, but avoid breaking things and fix things that others are breaking. And that's what AI gives us the opportunity to do. Super fascinating conversation. And I have to say an eye-opening one for me too. As leaders, we always need to be open to admitting we don't have all the answers and listen and learn from others. Nowhere better than right here with one of your hosts who says, I got to learn a lot more about this. I'm, I'm in the dark, I have to say. But there's nothing more important right now than this topic of AI and showing that we are learners, whoever we are. Brad, we thank you for the education. Thanks for being here. Thanks for helping us learn and forcing us to leap. Thank you so much, Brad. Thanks to both of you. Fun to be here. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more compelling insights from leaders across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more or get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com. Find us on LinkedIn and follow up on X, formerly known as Twitter, at RA on Leadership. <laughs>